Hi, and welcome to episode 121 of No Crying in Baseball, the Defense Against the Dark Arts episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey, I'm crawling to the table today. I'm a little bit under the weather, but the beer is helping, I think. You know what else I think just helped? We just finished an interview with... Um, Coach Whitey of DC Girls Baseball. He's their conditioning coach. And he was so much fun to talk to. And I think you really, you really got me inspired. I feel much better. Yeah, yeah. That, that totally helped my health, that and the beer. But that was fun. Yeah, definitely catch that episode. It's coming out sometime soon, but that's a good reason to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss it. We have been cross-training with football. Well, actually, Potty Mouth has been cross-training with football. Yeah, we were talking about it when we were watching the winter baseball game the other night, that XFL was a thing. So yesterday was the opening day of XFL, which is a thing. It's really interesting. They have weird rules. It's being played at Audi Field, which is right around the corner from Nats Park. So we've got to go to a game. And it seems like it's football for social media, kind of, because everything is like plugged in and like you get comments right away from players. It's really weird. It's very weird. You guys were talking about how like the rules sort of speed up the game a little bit. And I was thinking if Rob Manfred was actually the NFL commissioner, is that kind of what he would have come up with? Maybe, but but uh, Mr. Potty Mouth figured out that it really wasn't that fast. Like well, it was supposed Perfect. to be an hour and a half, but it didn't. It ended up being almost three hours, the game that we saw. <laughs> so go figure. Hey, also in cross-training news, the Washington football team hired the first African-American woman coach in the NFL. So hooray for that. They did something right. Now, if they could ditch their owner and their name, I would be all good. Absolutely. On today's show, the dark arts and code breakers, the front office involvement in the Astros cheating scandal, the Pookie trade, what's happening with Mookie Betts, Jack Peterson and another blow to the players union. We've got new boyfriends with Tampa Bay and Milwaukee. We're going to wrap up the winter baseball season and mayors come together to save minor league baseball. All right, just when we thought we knew what the heck was going on in Houston, the Wall Street Journal broke a story um, which involved words like dark arts and code breakers, which just seems like it's a made-for-movie Out of either Harry Potter or James Bond, or both. Harry Potter meets James Bond. That's it. That's it. Um, What we found out was that Rob Manfred sent a letter to Jeff Lunau saying, I know you know what was happening. A letter? A letter. A letter. It With could, a stamp and stuff? I don't know, but it came out in letter form. Maybe it was a PDF. Back okay. off. Jeez. <laughs> All right. You're missing the point. The takeaway <laughs> is that MLB knew that Jeff Luna was aware that this was happening, yet their official report doesn't reflect that. It also explains that an intern, we're going to blame it on an intern, in 2016 said, I've got a spreadsheet and here's what I can do with it. And basically proposed this system of tracking signs and being able to translate them and using them to tip off the batter. Did, did the intern come up with the trash can thing? Uh, no, the, tr- the the intern came up with the spreadsheet. The trash okay. can thing, it's not clear where that happened. That may be the point where the players got involved. It's not clear. But the important thing here is the front office said, hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we try that? Which is not how it's reflected in the official report at all. Jeff Lunau said, you know, when they had they had emails that had information about the code breaker system, the dark arts system that got sent to Jeff Lunau, but apparently they were at the end of long emails. And he said, oh, no, I don't read past the first part of an email. 
I can relate to that. I don't either. But do you think that's yeah. an excuse? You no, it's totally it's not, not an excuse. That's like that's a very yeah. lame reaction that you should have read the emails, but you were just a little lazy. Right. Also, that reflects that they were using some version of the system in away games, and also they were using it in 2018. Oh. So this is more news than we were led to believe yeah. based on MLB's actual mm-hmm. report. So um, Derek Vigoa, who was the intern who came up with the scheme, is now the senior manager of team operations. Still? Yeah. He certainly didn't have any um, suspensions or f- was really? fired or anything. He's working and got a, you know, he's moved his way up the ladder, apparently. So hold, please. More things are going to happen there. On a related note, A.J. Hinch just had a long interview, his first interview since he got fired, which in which he says he wishes he had done more to stop this and, quote, wrong is wrong and we were wrong. So That's baby, a lot of wrongs in one sentence. Baby steps. Well, a, long, a lot of wrong was done. Yeah. So I'm happy to hear that. I do haven't watched the interview yet. I do want to go back and do that to see what else he had to say. But that was a good takeaway, I think. So I... Uh, Onto my Red Sox. I don't know if anything's come out between the the time that we've recorded and you all are listening, so I'm not going to say a lot, but I'm hopeful that the Red Sox are not as tainted, I guess that's the word, as the Astros. The preliminary reports show that it's not as bad. I don't know what that means, if they're totally innocent, partially innocent. I'm going to just keep on hoping. The other thing I'm crying in my beer over here with is the Mookie trade, which is like, as far as right now, it's who the fuck knows what happens. I have a feeling that you all listening know a lot more than me. So I'm not going to say too much, except for the fact that this is a really good example of how reporters jump on stuff before the story is really known. And it's kind of a problem because there was a trade. The trade fell through. Who knows whose fault it was? Is it the Twins pulling out? Is it the Red Sox and their medical stuff over Gradual? I don't know how to pronounce Pronounce the pitcher's name. But I think the best take on it was Justin Turner from the Dodgers basically saying that this, these are people's lives that y'all are playing with. And maybe you should hold off on the reporting until you know what the story is because it's playing with people and that's not cool. And just trying to get the scoop. Yeah. Just trying to be the first one, especially you want to be the first one to break the news on this trade. It is a big fucking deal. I mean, and then there's the Red Sox fandom just having an absolute shit fit over losing Mookie Betts and people saying that the ownership didn't expect this kind of reaction. Really? Oh, come on. I don't believe that's true. He's like homegrown face of the franchise. So I don't know what's going on. You guys know more than me, but I am really sad because I have a Pookie shirt and I don't want to send that to Value Village. You will not. No, I'm going to keep Pookie. That's vintage. That's yeah. not no matter what. It's not choose. his fault. He didn't choose. Well, it seems like he's willing to go at this point, but you yeah. know, he wants to get what he wants to get top dollar. He has said a couple times this is a business. Mm-hmm. So, I, there's a, a lot of people are treating it very much like a business and a lot less like these are my this is my team that I believe in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing that was interesting on Twitter yesterday, though, was because it was Saturday. It was the only thing that was interesting it, on Twitter so yesterday. Much, <laughs> I don't know. There, was, there were a bunch of stuff interesting on Twitter. But this thing that when it all broke and everybody's like waiting for the Red Sox reaction and Chaim Bloom, the new GM, is a Orthodox Jew. And so folks were like, you know what? Nothing's happening until after sundown anyway. So just chill huh. out for a while. Jack Peterson of the Dodgers, or is he of the Angels now? This is the problem. Really had a horrible thing happen to him this week. So Jack Peterson was going to arbitration hearings, right? He and the Dodgers could not agree on a salary 
for this coming year. So they were going to go to an arbitration hearing. Before the hearing, it was announced publicly that he was being traded to the Angels, but the trade hadn't been completed yet. Does that sound familiar? Yes. So the players union on Peterson's behalf said, we would like to postpone this hearing until the trade is a done deal one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So Jack knows who he's negotiating with. And the, the rules around arbitration hearings are you can request a postponement for good cause, basically. And one would think a reasonable person would think this is in fact good cause. You don't know what team you're going to be playing for starting, you know, in two days, maybe. It sounds good cause to me. But MLB and also the arbitration panel said, oh, no, we should go ahead. No fucking way. Way. Oh, my God. Way. And so he lost his arbitration. You know, what? He, they went with what the Dodgers were offering to pay him, even though his value to the Dodgers may be different than his value to the Angels, right? With the Dodgers, maybe he's platooning with somebody else, and he's like, you know, slightly lower tier. He's not the superstar. But maybe with the Angels, he's got he's, he would be valued more and would get a higher salary. So he got screwed. The players' union is pissed. Jack Peterson is pissed. And once again, the players' union gets And screwed. so right now he's in limbo. I mean, is he going to the Angels? There, as of recording, that deal hadn't been signed yet. But wherever he's going to go, he's going to get yeah. almost $2 million less than he was asking for. Currently out of a job is Jessica Mendoza. We talked about her a couple of weeks ago when she had terrible things to say in the opinion of No Crying in Baseball, anyway, about Mike Fears, about how he um, was a whistleblower mm -hmm. on the Astros cheating scandal. Jess didn't like that and said so in a public interview and got a lot of crap for it. She also got some support because a lot of people agree with her, but I think a lot of people are like, nah. and also, can you be saying this as someone who both works for the Mets and works for ESPN? She no longer works for the Mets. She's actually resigned. I don't know if she was asked to resign, but she has resigned her position at the Mets. We said previously she was going to be out on Sunday Night Baseball, but ESPN had said they have an expanded role in mind for her across other platforms. But come on. What does that mean? Sunday Night Baseball is the platform you want to be on. And if she's out, there are no women on, you know, at the national level. And I cannot fucking deal with A-Rod without her to buffer it a little bit. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um... It is as sad as I was about Jess's comments, this kind of sucks too. Yep. We're going to move on to the happy part of our podcast where we talk about our boyfriends, our baseball boyfriends. We each choose one guy per team per year because they're not only cool on the field, but there is something special that makes us just want to go out and hang out with them, have a beer, something that connects. And we're, uh, we started with the bottom of the barrel teams and we're working our way up. We are way up by now because we're getting really close to top spring third, training. Man. We're in the top third. Top third. We are with the Tampa Bay Rays on the American League. And I was looking at the active players and the projected roster, and I thought it is about fucking time that I put my money where my mouth is. Is that the right phrase? Mm -hmm. Because I am pro DH, and I have never picked a DH on this podcast. But I'm going to pick one now because it looks like Yoshitomo. Tsutsuko, I think I, sp I pronounced his name right, Tsutsuko. He, he wants to go by Yoshi. He's a 28-year-old, probable DH, although he could play first or third or left field. And he is just in from Japan. 
He's a lefty slugger. And he led the Japanese, the Nippon Professional Baseball League, I think that's what it's called. He led them last year with OPS. So he is a solid player, but he made it very clear to his team sort of all along that his dream from when he was a kid was to play with Major League Baseball. So he was drafted out of Yokohama High School at age 19 and was drafted into the Yokohama Bay Stars. So his local team, so this is the team that he followed also, you know, in Japan, all through his life, and was incredibly successful with them, was the team captain. But because he wanted to be in MLB always, he spent a month in Los Angeles in the off-season over the past six years. Every year. Every year. Every year, one month in L.A. to get used to the culture, to learn about American baseball. And uh, he's done pretty well. So in Japan, over the past five years, he's Average per year, 33 home runs. He's a big slugger, 93 runs batted in, and a 298 average. He played on their 2017 World Baseball Classic team as a cleanup hitter, and he played in the Dominican Republic. And here's the part that really sealed him for me as a baseball boyfriend, because when he played in the DR, he played with my team, my DR team that I've picked, the Leones del Escogido. And he said that when he was there, he learned what it means to play with heart. And this is something that I really like about his attitude, that he's known as the happy-go-lucky guy. He's the life of the clubhouse. He jokes around, and he's not your typical Japanese player. He is not regimented. So he, because of his time... I think in the United States, in the Dominican Republic, he's turned into this just really fun guy. A side note about playing in Yokohama, the coach of that team is Alex Ramirez, who played on the Cleveland team. And uh, he's been coaching there for the past five years. And I'm wondering if he's brought a little bit of that sort of feeling to his team. And now he's also bringing Omar Vizquel to his team. I love Omar. That's exciting. Omar has become a podcast favorite. I am learning from Patty about how (laughs) wonderful Omar is. And now he's going to Japan, but he's not going to be able to hang out with Yoshi, which is okay. Uh, Some of the things that Yoshi has said, which really struck me about Japanese training in baseball, is if Japanese kids don't win, somebody gets angry. You just can't grow your game in circumstances where whatever whatever you do, someone gets angry. So he's been really critical of Japanese youth baseball culture, this winning over education, the excessive training, the the push to play through injury. And I guess there in both youth baseball and college baseball, tournament play is really big. And what he said is what that does is the winners can't rest because they're winning the tournament. So they're playing more. So they're playing through injury. And the losers are becoming sort of disenfranchised. Like, you know, why bother? Because they don't get to play. So he said, you know, we have pitching restrictions on adults. Why not kids? Um, ironically, or, or strangely, maybe is a better word, that successful hitters are coming into MLB from Japan are rare. We've seen a bunch of pitchers with success, but Hideki Matsui and Ichiro Suzuki, and now maybe Shohei Otoni also, are the ones who sort of sort of stand out. And Matsui and Suzuki were definitely his childhood idols. Um, what happens with somebody coming in from Japan is this posting situation. Mm-hmm. And I know you've helped me with this in the past where the there's a month period where they get posted. So he made it very clear that he wanted to leave. His team said, we know what's what where your heart's at. 
So they let him go, and there's a ha- a 30-day period where an MLB team had to claim him, but the Bay Stars get percentages of his deal depending on what the deal is. So They get paid an amount of money that's equal to a certain percentage of his deal. It doesn't come okay. out of his salary. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so he's not penalized for it, but the team that picks him up has to pay a certain percentage of that amount separately to the team. What I think is super interesting, though, is that he didn't go for a multi-year big buck contract. What he did end up with was two years, $12 million with the Rays, which I think is for a couple of reasons. Number one is that there was a personal touch there. The Rays super courted him. They had a special meeting with him outside of the winter meetings. Kevin Cash personally made a big plea to him. He talked about Cash's passion, and he actually said, if I didn't come to the Rays, Kevin would have haunted me in my nightmares. So Kevin Cash was that passionate about him. And this way, he gets to be a free agent in two years. So I think he's kind of betting on himself, really. You know, instead of locking in a multi-year thing where maybe the the Bay Stars would have gotten some money, he would have gotten a lot of money. He's doing a two-year deal, and we'll see what his value is in 2021. Uh, One of the relievers on the Rays, Spencer Patton, actually played with him on the Yokohama Bay Stars and commented about his character and sort of, you know, said that that he's going to be fitting in really well with the Rays, that he's outgoing, that in Japan he reached out to other players in their native languages, plural. So so the English-speaking players he would try his English with, Spanish-speaking players he would try his Spanish with. He listens to Latin music in the clubhouse, which I would think would be a cool thing in Florida, right? And he said he's the not the traditional Japanese. Japanese player at all by any stretch of the imagination. And that includes his training methods and the regimen. He's not as strict as you usually see with Japanese players. Super interesting about why he's wearing number 25. I guess in Japan, when a player retires, especially if it's a successful, well-known player, they can pass on their, their number to sort of the guy that they see taking over for him. So they pick. They pick where the number goes to. Yeah. That's really cool. I think that's a really sweet... I think we should start that tradition. That's a really sweet gesture. So Suichi Murata, who I guess was a big player on the Bay Stars, um, gave him his number. They overlapped by a couple years, and he wants to take it on here. He has a wife and an 18-month-old daughter, and he's not sure yet whether they're going to be joining him here all the time or not. But for right now, they're staying in Japan as is his twin sister, who I guess is a good tennis player. So go figure. Uh, Last thing is that his opening statement that he made about being selected for the Rays, that he did in English very carefully, but he added a little Spanish phrase, which which was uh, palacae vamos, which already is very Dominican accented using pa instead of para, but it basically means, it literally means we're going for the street, but it's a way of saying, I'm going to hit a lot of homers. I'm going to hit balls out of the park. I love it. Yep. Love it. I have to add that to my very tiny collection of Spanish mm. baseball phrases. We're it's working on so it, though. so small, and I appreciate that. Hey, while we're talking about the Rays, before I get to my boyfriend, Charlie Morton, formerly of the Houston Astros, who now is a pitcher for the Rays, was interviewed at the Rays version of FanFest. Remember, this is where we're getting all the interviews with people because the players are making themselves available to the press. He is sort of apologizing. Again, in the Dallas Keuchel mode, it's a pitcher apologizing for something that he didn't actually do. But Charlie Morton said, I regret not doing more to stop it. He was aware something was going on and he just didn't do anything about it. And I was like, yeah, that was bad. And it was especially bad for opposing pitchers who we can totally relate to. 
where this is a, you know, could be a, a, a career ruiner. Which makes it super interesting that the two Astros players who have spoken out at this point are pitchers who have been transferred to other teams. Yeah. And, and just remember that Mr. Morton is the subject of the sentence. Look that up on Schoolhouse Rock, my friends. You will not be sorry. You did not disappoint, Patty Mouth. Thank you very much. <laughs> my Tampa Bay Rays boyfriend is Brandon Bam Bam Lau, second baseman, 25 <laughs> years old, from Newport News, Virginia. He comes from a very very athletic, very sporty family. His dad played. Wait, wait. What? Please tell me that that's Flintstones connected. Is that Flintstones connected? Bam Bam? Like Pebbles and Bam Bam? I think you can read into it, okay. whatever you will. All right. Yes. Yes. He the, the, the man can hit a ball. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. His dad played college baseball for SUNY Cortland. His sister played field hockey in college and then was a college field hockey coach for at least a little while. His sports hero is Robinson Cano, who I would what I would have left out, you know, a few weeks ago, but we had that great story that Potty Mouse shared about Robinson Cano leading that march to against violence, violence against women. And so yay, now we can say that proudly. I, one of the reasons I picked Brandon Lau was because we are within a stone's throw of the University of Maryland Go here. Terps! Go Terps! And um, Brandon Bam Bam Lau was, in fact, a Terp. Um, two days before his first game as a freshman, he twisted his knee. Terrible, bad, bad injury, like a bad twist, and was out for the entire season. In his... Um, uh, his therapies to come back from that. He said the hardest thing was not the physical stuff, but it was the the memory of the pop that his knee oh. made when yeah. So it was bad. Which means so the next year when he was actually a sophomore as far as college was concerned, he was a red shirt freshman. Have you heard that term before? Communist? No. No. No, I can't actually speak to his political okay. meanings. Although University of Maryland might leave never know. I don't know. Um, but it just means that no matter what your year in the college, it's your first year of actual eligibility for athletics. Oh. So redshirt freshman didn't play freshman year. So this is like your first year playing your redshirt freshman. So he came back from this knee injury and led the offense of this team, broke records, had a fantastic season and took them to um, the championship level games. They didn't win, but they got there for the first time in like 50 years. He's got a bad routine, and that is two days before the 2015 draft, he broke his fibula. So again, two days before an important thing, bad injury. Although the Rays picked him in the third round anyway. That says a lot. It says a lot, right? Well, so then he went on to the minor leagues where he um, he credits his hitting prowess to applesauce. That is very wholesome. This Isn't really fits you for a boyfriend. He, he thought, mm-hmm. well, meh. He thought, I'm not having enough fruits and vegetables. So he started using those little, like the squeezy applesauces like you give to toddlers. So I don't know what to do with that. But he debuted in August of 2018 and played for, what is that, six weeks, right? And in March, before the 2019 opening day, he had signed a contract extension for six years for $24 million plus two team options that if they get picked up, will total about $49 million. And that would sort of delay his free agency by two years if those options get picked up. So he locked in, you know, really good salary now for, you know, maybe not getting that salary, the bigger salary, the bigger payout for later. Well, considering his injury record, I would say that's a good idea. See, that's an insurance yep. policy, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. And he did not disappoint. He um, made the all-star team. In, in 2019 after getting this, and he had a fantastic first half. 
and then had a shin bone of course bruise halfway <laughs> yep. through the season. He fouled off a ball off a oh, shin bone man. out most of the second half, and he still placed third in the rookie of the year voting. So that's how good his first half was if he only played a little more than half a season and and and, and ranked that highly in rookie of the year voting. He is married to Madison Martin, who he met at University of Maryland. She was a softball player there. They are really a pretty good team, right? They they work together in a lot of ways really well. The Rays and the Twins, I think, share a spring training facility. And so the past couple years, this will be the third year, the Rays' wives have a charity softball game against the wives from the Minnesota Twins. And the Twins won the first year and the Rays won the second year, but it's a charity gig. The first year they raised $19,000 for Stoneman Douglas Victims Fund. That's so cool. Um, Last year they raised um, a bunch of money for a hunger relief local organization there in Florida. And this year the um, the game is scheduled for March 1st and it's for um, Girls on the Run, supporting girls athletes, which is pretty great. Apparently last year, uh, Madison was quite the star. She played a great second uh, shortstop, hit the only home run in the game. And um, her husband, Brandon, hit a 448-foot home run the next day. And their joke was that, you know, she he, he didn't like her having more home runs than he did in spring training. And he said, you know, she really is the better athlete, which I appreciate. As a team, and the team, I mean, I mean the Laos, I mean Brandon and Madison, they've pledged $100 per home run to the crisis center of Tampa Bay, and the team is going to match that. Um, that's a community gateway for all kinds of uh, people in many different kinds of crisis, various kinds of abuse or financial crisis or health crisis or whatever it is. They also run something called Laos Legends, where the two of them, both Brandon and Madison, host batting practice for youth baseball and softball teams. Um, they give the boys and the girls game tickets and they run clinics at the trap, which I love. And the more I talk about it, the more I think that Madison Lau may actually be my raised boyfriend. That are, works. are we okay with yeah, that? I but think can that's I, totally good. I'm going to, I'm going to like, like hitch my wagon to her, mm-hmm. but use uh, Brandon's stats for points. That sounds fair. Okay, good. I'm good with that. On to the National League with the Brewers. Just a side note. Mr. Potty Mouth was like, I'm a brewer. Can't you pick me? You know, when I was trying to look up old information about brewers and I would put brewers in my search bar for my Google Docs, uh-huh. it came up with a lot of things that weren't baseball related. Yeah. yeah. It's a, Mr. Potty Mouth, by the way, is a home brewer. He does not play for Milwaukee. Omar Navarrete. Shit, I, I've been practicing it too. Navarrete, I think. There's an accent on that second A. Navarrete. Third A. Yeah, so math. many A's. Oh, the math. All right, we're just going to call him Omar. He's a catcher. I, could I love use Omar. Another catcher. Oh, wait, the other Omar. Yeah, this is another Omar that we can love, though. Okay. He's a catcher. He's 27 years old at the time of recording. But when you hear this, he will be 28 because his birthday is tomorrow, February 20th, 10th. Happy birthday, Omar. Happy birthday, Omar. And speaking of 10th, he is number 10 of the top 10 catchers listed by MLB this year. So go, Omar. He was signed as a 16-year-old out of Venezuela with the Rays. And he spent the next summer in the Venezuelan Summer League, which existed until 2016. And it's like the Dominican Summer League, where teams used to have sort of a summer training camp in Venezuela until the political situation got too bad. But what I noticed about it is that it's taking place in Stupid Face in oh, Carabobo. Yeah. Yeah, yep. which we had talked about before. And then he had a bit of a roller coaster experience with four seasons in rookie level, 
which is kind That's of a lot rough. At it the was a lot. Level. Yeah, he wasn't doing so well. And in uh, 2013, he was traded to the White Sox in minor league. Oh, wait, how did he end up in the White Sox? Yeah, White Sox minor league. With the, with the Rule 5 draft, that was it. It was the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. And here's where he really shouldn't be playing major league at this point because only 7% of players who this has happened to have gone to the Rule 5 draft in the minor league phase have made it to the majors, 7% in the last 15 years. Out of that 7%, only 1% of them have ended up with more than three B-war and he is in that 1% with like five other guys whose names I did not write down. He ended up debuting in the majors in 2016 and hit his first home run on his dad's birthday. What a good birthday That's present. A nice present. He hung out for a while, but 18 was really his breakout year. But he had a really slow and steady climb. From 2016 to 2019, the more at-bats he got, the better his stats got. And he said he just had to get into that rhythm. And by the time last season, he was at a 278 average, 813 OPS. So he's climbing up there. He was traded to the Mariners from the White Sox in 2018. And then 2019 in the offseason in December to the Brewers. When he was with the Mariners, he was really focusing on that relationship with the pitcher, really understanding that the catcher-pitcher relationship was key. And he played golf with them so that he could sort of just talk to them casually about their pitching while they were playing golf in sort of a casual, you know, friendly atmosphere. Have you noticed that, that we have trended towards using the word golf? It's really more? weird. Yeah, yeah, this has been a couple of golf episodes. A couple of golf episodes. We, wow. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe we should take up golf. I don't no, know. But no, he, never he, he also studied, and I like this in a guy, this this study attitude, studying the film of the pitchers before string, spring training, and also learning from my double ex-boyfriend from two years that ago. That sounds a little that adult. <laughs> I, I don't think we can right, say I'm that. I'm not going to go there. Yadier Molina from the cards, you know, sort of an ultimate catcher, learning from him about framing and talking about how, you know, that last pitch being called a ball or a strike can be really key. And if you can do that for your team, it's worth it. His mom is from Ecuador and she moved to Venezuela as a child where she met his dad and he grew up in Venezuela, but his parents now live in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And I learned my Spanish in Ecuador, in Quito. I've never been to Guayaquil, but I have a little bit of a soft spot for Ecuador and baseball is not really a thing there, but he's trying to make it a thing. And there's a club in Guayaquil that his father has been involved with. And now Omar has been involved with also. And they want to help develop Ecuadorian baseball. And let's hope that they can do it. It's in uh, Liga Miraflores, Club Deportivo Fatty, which is a whole thing on, into itself. But there are a whole bunch of different clubs that are competing there. Notably, though, Fatty, 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 I guess is how you'd pronounce it. They won last season. So power to them. And uh, Omar is hoping to move there after he's done with the MLB. Right. Last thing, his idol is a Venezuelan, Miggy Cabrera. So I'm going to stick with Omar. I will never disagree with the statement. I'm going to stick with Omar. <laughs> Here it comes. I'm declaring for Christian Yelich. I broke up with Anthony Rendon as my once and forever boyfriend and I'm decided that Christian Yelich is the boyfriend that I'm going to carry over from last year to the, the 2020 season. Not a sledge move. That I feel that good sense. about it. Mm -hmm. it, it. It took some guts, I think. But, you know, once I had the breakup a couple of weeks ago, I think, all right, 
I'm okay with this. I can, I can do this. I have talked a lot about Christian Yelich because, you know, I love him and he was in fact my boyfriend last year. So I'm going to pick up where we left off. Yeah. Well, he made a lot of news. Like there's been a lot of Christian Yelich stuff out there. There has been a lot of Christian Yelich out there. More Mm -hmm. about that in a second. So he fractured his kneecap in September, right at the end of the Yelly versus Belly MVP race. Um, He's back to full strength now, so don't you worry. He's back with a vengeance. So he did finish second to Cody Bellinger in the 2019 MVP voting, although he was the winner in 2018. He had a 1.1 OPS in 2019, which is sort of miraculous. He also led the National League in batting average this past season. For the second year in a row, last past season, 2019, he batted a 329, which is pretty good. And still not MVP. He had 30 stolen bases, 44 home runs, and a 429 on base percentage. The man can play baseball. He was an all-star for the second time, silver slugger for the third time, and he won his second Hank Aaron Award. Now, the bit about showing a lot of Christian Yelich, he has said in the past that, you know, it's a shame that baseball players don't have like the star power recognition that say a basketball player or a football player might have. And he's been talking to MLB marketing about it and trying to figure out how can we do this? And one of the problems that he's pointed out is that baseball players fail a lot, right? You know, you hit 300, you're still, you know, not hitting, you know, more than two thirds of the, of the pitches thrown at you. So you don't have like stellar game after stellar game after stellar game. But he's put himself out there, say, in the body issue, right, of Sports Illustrated. We saw a lot of Christian Yelich there. He has done, you know, a lot of sort of public, um, the things, you know, when he was chugging a beer on the on the Jumbotron, when he was, you know, any number so of things, trying to put himself out there. Body issue and chugging a beer, and he's your boyfriend. Yes. Yeah. So... I learned from you sometimes. (laughs) There we go. But the thing he does that he's really committed to that might counter any bad feelings you might think about me for saying (laughs) chugging a beer and the body issue is his California Strong Foundation, where he's one of the the leads in this. He developed this last year with some other ballplayers to raise money for victims of the California wildfires. He grew up in, in California. And since then, this California Strong has grown much bigger and is now helping the victims of new wildfires, the borderline bar mass shooting, and even the helicopter crash of a few weeks ago that took the life of Kobe Bryant because not everybody on the helicopter was a multi-bazillionaire. Mm-hmm. And there are families that need help right now. And the California Strong gives direct grants to families for immediate needs. Like for the, the victims of the fire, we will put you up in hotels. We will get you closed because everything that you you own just burned up. We will help you right now with what your needs are without having to wait for a social service thing to come through. One of the ways they they raise money is through their celebrity softball game. They, the second one just happened. Um, it not only includes baseball players like Christian Yelich, but like Cody Bellinger and Jack Peterson, but also other celebrities because they're playing right outside Los Angeles. So this year, Adam Sandler was there. Charlie Sheen was there. Rob Lowe was there. A bunch of younger people whose names I didn't recognize, so I'm not even going to try to say. Shouldn't Charlie Sheen be on the baseball player side? Isn't he like... Yeah, very good. (laughs) Very good. I also didn't include A-Rod on the baseball player (laughs) side because that's not their day job anymore. Um, But one thing that Kristen Yelich said was, 
it's my responsibility given this platform that I have because I am a professional athlete. I need to use, basically he's saying I need to use these powers for good. People are going to pay attention to what I do. So I'm going to use any celebrity I have. They've raised $3 million in two years, which is pretty great, which is pretty great. Um, the thing, if I needed any convincing to keep Christian Yelich, he was recently asked what his face favorite baseball movie was and he said bull durham because pretty accurate he said i live this movie and he's your boyfriend and he's my boyfriend that's great thank you we watched baseball together just a couple nights ago yeah we did it was fun and if y'all missed this you guys have just been sleeping on the off season winter baseball was so much fun so the caribbean series finals was just a couple nights ago and I was rooting for Venezuela because that was the one team that I've been following all the way through that made it to the finals. But the champions are now the Toros del Este from the Dominican Republic. And despite the fact that the Dominican Republic has won before, the Toros del Este have not as their championship team. Because the way this works is each country has their own playoffs, and that's the team that goes to the Serie del Caribe. Although they do it with reinforcements. So at various points in the season in the Dominican League, they get to pull in players from other teams. And the cool thing about this is one of the players who had an amazing play in that last game was Jumbo Diaz, who has earned his name. And he came from the Leones del Escogido, which was the team that I had been following and hoping to win in the Dominican Republic. So Jumbo Diaz makes Cece Sabathia and Bartolo Colon look svelte, I would I knew say. you were going to say svelte. <laughs> I felt svelte coming. Makes them look in super tip-top shape. Jumbo is a big guy, and there was a hit to the pitcher, and he could have just thrown it to first, but he ran it, and he, he ran it. it tight, and he made that out at first base. So cheers to Jumbo Diaz and to the Toros del Este. Also, their GM, Raymond Abreu, is the director of Latin American operations for the A's. So eye on the A's for this year, as well as their prospect, Jorge Mateo, was on the team. And he hit 389 in the championship. So we haven't picked our A's boyfriends yet, but I think I've got an eye on Jorge Mateo. We'll see where this goes. Their manager, Lino Rivera, is actually Puerto Rican. And I was feeling bad because the Dominican Republic beat Puerto Rico in a couple of last the the two last games that they played were really tight and I'm thinking Puerto Rico's been through a lot it's they're they're hosting the series maybe they they definitely deserve to go to the finals so I kind of felt bad but the Dominican manager is actually Puerto Rican so Lino Rivera and he is the first Puerto Rican to win the Caribbean series not coaching for a Puerto Rican huh. team so that's the the end of winter baseball here Trying to keep the end of the minor leagues from coming are 100 mayors. We talked before about things that Congress is doing to try to save minor league baseball. Mayors of American cities are getting into the act. There are about 100 mayors who have signed on to this task force to save the minor leagues. Some of them are from the cities where one of the 42 minor league teams that's on the hit list exist. But also there are other mayors of other cities, either with a team that is safe, if we can call it safe, like not on that hit list or no team at all, but believe in the power and the importance to community of minor league baseball. Uh, you know, we're big fans of the Pulaski Yankees because we've visited them and talked to their their um, their manager a couple times. The mayor of Pulaski, Virginia, David Clark, had this really wonderful letter that he put out, which is how this came to my attention, where 
he's basically pleading the case of why minor league baseball is important. And here's a quote from that letter. We come together at Calfee Park for a common pastime. And no matter what our status, when we walk through those gates, we are all one big family supporting our Pulaski Yankees. He says over the season, 100,000 fans come to see Pulaski Yankees games, and there's only 9,000 residents in the town. So it means a lot financially to the town, as well as being the sort of community building activity. And Pulaski is not unique in that. Cities all over the country are like that. And it's a it's a fun park. I mean, it takes a lot to get me rooting for a Yankees team, but I was. We went to just a random game, and it was packed. Mm-hmm. The beer was good. It was a fun atmosphere. And everybody knew everybody yeah. there. It was, it was like the hang. It's what you do on the Saturday night. I'm going to put a link in the notes to this form that the task force has made public where they're collecting signatures, but also stories from people about the minor leagues. And they're going to send that to Congress because, as you know, Congress has their task force as well. So when you fill out this form, you say what you're from, you get to say what your famous favorite minor league ball club is. And you can tell a story what's so special about the minor leagues. So please go do that and help save these minor league teams that are on the chopping block. I love having the political action section of the podcast. I'm here for you. There we go. Sure. You know what? We're going to have baseball soon in this country. We're going to have spring training. Pitchers and catchers are reporting in two days. Two days, seven hours, 19 minutes, and 46 seconds from recording, which means by the time you hear us, it's pretty much spring training. Hallelujah. It is here, my friends. While we're basking in the glow of spring training, we're also going to be doing some research on boyfriends from St. Louis and Oakland, although I think Potty Moth might have her Oakland guy already hmm. picked out. I might have another Matt on, on, on deck here. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Please find us on social media. Potty Mouth can tell you where to do that. You can find us at NCIB Podcast on Twitter or at No Crying in B-Ball at face, on Facebook or Instagram or NoCryingInBball.com to get all those past episodes you should be catching up on. Please subscribe because then you'll get special episodes like the interview we've got coming up this week with Coach Whitey. Tell your friends about us, listen to some past episodes, and until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth.